Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1, over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage. So Steve Skadron, you are running uh, for mayor again for the third time after six years on council. Yeah. So it's 10 years sitting behind the uh, council table. So I want to tell you something. So I ran into you on the sidewalk yesterday and I had just had a great day in Aspen and I took some laps and I was like the happiest Aspenite for about four or five hours, right? Nothing was wrong with Aspen right. at all well, for you me had, yesterday. You had the glow, I could right? tell. You had right. the glow. I was having a great day and then I ran into you and I'm like, I wonder if Steve ever runs into anybody in Aspen who's happy to be in Aspen, <laughs> or if he only runs into cranky people, yeah. right? I no. mean, do you ever run into people who say, hey, Steve, everything's great in town? Yeah. Um, or no, is that a rare thing? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, the, the ratio is out of balance. More it's about how come you guys, or you need to. I, mean, I guess so it's the danger of the thing. You're, you, you are in the... That's what your job is, to sit yeah. there and take complaints. Yeah. Right. Sometimes sometimes it is. A little bit of the complaint department, <laughs> answering the emails. I think we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Right. We're getting to it. You know, um, I had a conversation with Ziska. Um, Ziska Child? Ziska Child. Mm -hmm. And she told me a story. You know, she's running this Uber, basically, in her Tesla, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great entre local entrepreneurial endeavor. And she's telling me, a I hope I can say this. Just get us in mind. Everyone will hear it. So. Okay. Yeah. No, she's telling me a, a conversation she had with um, a gentleman she was chatting with who had been here uh, on a vacation. And he, and he said, um, he talked about hiking the bowl. It was his first hike up the bowl. And he, he reflected on the power of place. And that's what Zisk and I were talking about. He said how, how fantastic it is. I, I thought, so Brent, for every one of those stories, there's another one who says this place is absolutely fantastic. So yeah, it, it works out. So. Right. But you, um, I guess one question I've had for you is I've been watching a little bit of city council meetings and coming to a few meetings and it seems pretty tense on the council. And I don't know if it's the, the BERT factor because there's sort of a four to one situation going on, but has this particular council been any tougher than the rest, or is it just because I haven't been showing yeah. up enough? No, no, it's, it's different. The makeup is different, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not because it's four to one. That, that's, that's a non-issue, because I, I've been, over the years, um, you know, I made a career on being the one on the, mm -hmm. on the four to one. Mm -hmm. that, that's not it. Um, it's my, if I f express a frustration on council, it has to do with, I think, a basic, um, probably a contradiction with one of my basic values and I think when you when an individual sits in that seat it should be about community service having served with I mentioned I've been there for a few years uh, having served with a lot of different personalities you come to um, appreciate those who are in the role uh, to provide a public service versus those who are in the role to be on council mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, (laughs) My personal assistant pay no attention. Um, I'm so impressed. (laughs) She's with me 24-7. It's great. Um. Is that like at breakfast? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's really helpful (laughs) to me, especially as I age. It's great. So the, and, and I think when I express a frustration, um, it, it's related to that. I think it should be purely about community service. Some people say, you know, right. I'm, I'm a council member, and mm-hmm. other people um, kind of say or, or think, I serve on the city council. Mm. So um, at times I wonder if some of the, um, if, if you, you mentioned Bert, I, I hope that um, his actions are in the long interest, long-term community's interest. I give him that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Most of the time, and then sometimes he'll yeah. say something snarky, or, I, I, or, and I wonder. Yeah, I, I only say that. I don't mean to pick on Bert, but he, mm-hmm. uh, um, and sorry, I'm sure he'll watch this. And then write, report it on Facebook, which, which also is a little bit of a frustration. But that's part of our new politics and uh, locally and in America, of course. Mm. So, uh, yeah, because he, he um, likes to tout that he is the... He is the one vote in a four-to-one vote and kind of celebrates that. So I wonder, are you doing it just to be the, the one? Or, you know, contrary, a contrarian opinion is valuable. That's necessary. Diverse opinions are important. Um, and I think it, uh, a conversation should, I think we're better off when a conversation is informed by diverse opinions rather than five people thinking exactly the same or, or an entire Congress thinking exactly mm-hmm. the same way. Um, but contrary to community good, is another thing. And I think that's wrong for people to sit there and acting perhaps to um, serve their own ego in a way that undermines community good. And that, I guess if I have a frustration sometimes around conversations with anybody, uh, it relates to that, um, that kind of value. You know, I find myself watching city council on TV sometimes and being overly critical, I think, about, I expect, the, I expect perfection. And I think yeah. I'd probably last about 10 minutes up there before I'd lose my temper or lose my cool or say something sarcastic or, or snarky. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever find yourself sort of saying, okay, reel it back in yeah. uh, or, or yeah. losing your cool? I mean, Brent, it, it's, re- um, it's really hard to sit at that table, regardless of what perspective or how individuals conduct themselves. It, it's really hard to have a live audience. Um, have really, we have a really informed populace here really smart um kind of snarky can be uh, there's we, we have a town with two newspapers mm-hmm. you know i you know philadelphia i think has one daily newspaper houston has one denver i think has one official daily newspaper yeah, there's only we, like six towns left in the country with two competing is, that, is that true yeah so we have mm-hmm. two that's mm-hmm. that's two sets of reporters and that's two sets of readers perhaps and that's two sets of letters to the editors and that's two sets of opinion pages um, sometimes two sets of facts based on how it's, <laughs> you know, it comes out. The best thing about having two reporters at a meeting, yeah. the truth is somewhere yeah. in the middle. <clears throat> uh, live, live on television. It's, live, mm-hmm. it's covered by the radio. We have, now we have bloggers here on, across mm-hmm. the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and you... you, you um, Say one stupid thing and you're doomed. And, right. Yeah. yeah, so mm-hmm. council members are aware of that. So I give everybody, anybody who, takes, who has the guts to sit at that table and express themselves uh, gets credit. Yeah, but On the other hand, you haven't been, it's been 10 years now, and you haven't been horrifically savage. You haven't screwed yeah. up immensely yeah. in some giant way, have you? I mean, uh, you know, there, there are times. <laughs> Talk about softball questions, yeah, but, uh, there, but no, you, there, hasn't been, there hasn't been scandal. There hasn't yeah. been anything really, right? No. I mean, so far, so good. Yay. Right? <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you know, I learned, I. Uh, Lee Mulcahy won't appreciate this yeah. approach of questioning, but. Um, um, before I got on council, I watched, um, I would watch on TV as many people do, and it's really compelling. And I think I projected myself into that role, and I wondered, could I ever do that? Because like, those guys are so smart. I think Helen was the mayor back, back in the day, and I thought, wow, she's in such command of the issues. Or um, you know, Jack Johnson was out there, and he's so passionate about things, and I thought, I wonder if I could ever do that, and then I kind of worked my way in. Um, Sometimes I wonder, though, if people run because they know they'll be on television. Oh, yeah. I think that's a factor. But I think um, it gets back to this point. Are you running to serve your ego or are you running mm-hmm. to serve community interest? And Brent, I think if I, one thing I've tried to, one way I've tried to conduct myself is around community service. I never think I'm the, you know, look, I'm the mayor, so get out of my way. I, 
you know, I'm walking down the street, I never actually think I'm the mayor until someone yells out, hey, Mr. Mayor, which is always flattering. I kind of smile at that. But um, I'm just a local guy, and I take, I'm taking my turn at the council table, doing the best I can, try to be reasonable, and leave the town better off for the next generation of leadership, and then I'll uh, be on my way after perhaps if the community, want, community would like me back for one more term, I'm happy to do it. I guess it would be kind of damning to say, do you know who I am? Yeah. Look, when you're getting a parking ticket or something, that, that would not be good. Um. You know, I, I come from the other <laughs> perspective. I, I want to, um, I, I never expect any kind of special uh, permission or cuts in line or discounts or anything because I'm the mayor. And th that happens sometimes. And I've said, you know, no, thank you. Let me, I'll pay or. You don't ever elbow your way up to the front of the line at the gondola on powder mornings or something. <laughs> <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> Nobody's you know? skiing till I get a run. Right? <laughs> so I interviewed Lee Mulcahy yeah. before I interviewed you. Um, and you, in the paper, in the, in the questions that the Aspen Times has been running, for example, he's been using the word corrupt. Mm -hmm. And I challenged him on that. I'm like, well, what do you mean by corrupt? Yeah. And I didn't get a clear answer, frankly, of, of that. I'm sure you see that, and I'm sure that's offensive. Um, I don't think it's fair to ask anyone, are you corrupt? But what do you think he means by that? I, What's I, going no, on? I, 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 I let it go. I'm not, I, I, actually, I don't read it. I know, I know it's in the paper. He, uh, and that's, I don't know. You think he's talking system? I mean, that's what I was trying to press him. I'm like, you got to define the term. Yeah, yeah. And I read, a, you know, there was a forum uh, where Maurice Emmer was using the term, right. too, a couple right. years ago. And you pushed back and said, well, that's yeah. a very unfortunate. Yeah term and then he tried to clarify and say well I think the system is no. corrupt I don't know it's I, being tossed around quite a bit well it's and it's political season and right. things happen and right. I don't know um, what I one thing about Lee I, I said um, Lee always treats me cordially in private Lee, Lee, Lee is he always a fun guy um, I guess I found the interview rather toxic, frankly, no, and no. I felt attacked and abused. And then he shook my hand and gave me a big smile and said, this was fun. And that's, I was like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, that's what I mean. So there's, always, there's kind of that cordial side. But in public, he's, there's a great hostility. So, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't know Lee that well, but I try to um, treat Lee fairly, as I do with everybody, um, and approach his issues with, without bias and make determinations as best I can. And so I don't know. That's I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a hard campaign, I would think, in a way, because it's. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think he's an entirely rational actor, if you will. Okay. So that's up. That's up for the public. That's my. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Side, so. Yeah. I guess fair question I should ask you is why do you want to serve again? Uh, you've oh. been trying to maybe express that here, but is there a particular platform or a set of things that you do want to try and get done these I, last two years? It, it's been a privilege to serve, and I want to. Um, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to help. Uh, better the community I love and serve the friends and neighbors I care about and we've had some successes along the way that I'm quite proud of like the uh, this current work we did on the land use code that Brent that was an enormous undertaking I had no idea how hard it was going to be it was really difficult but I'm really proud of it and I, I want to continue the momentum and there's there's three things I want to get done um, at least lay the platform, lay the foundation for. One is uh, priority, uh, pedestrian priority in the downtown core. And I want to do that by extending the Hyman Avenue Mall two blocks to the east. So now the Hyman Avenue Mall ends at the Ute Mountaineer, Burberry, Montclair, that corner. Rag and Bone, I think, is on the other corner. And I want to go two blocks further, so it will end at the Art Museum. And what we would, ha what we would have there is um, perhaps more green spaces, we could have a complete street concept where the road serves not just automobiles, because now it's basically cars and parking, but perhaps we could um, serve other user groups, bicyclists and uh, music students playing in the summer, and we could have shops, more vibrant shops and restaurants out there with street side service, uh, maybe a community garden. Maybe we, uh, it ultimately becomes an arts and culture corridor stretching from the Wheeler to the art museum, and then from that we can uh, great things. So that's the first thing, this pedestrian orientation. Secondly, and my first point ties into the second point, or the second point flows from the first one, is um, I'd like to um, leave the transit landscape in our community forever changed. And I want to do that by adopting new technologies that will move us away from the necessity to build more lanes and parking garages in our downtown core. And I'm thinking um, right now there's some conversations going on with the Aspen Institute, and this is building off a council goal I had last year about 
capitalizing on next generation mobility technologies um, before we go bulldoze open space and do four lanes. And, and what I would love to do is um, start a conversation about having, hosting here, something like transportation month or transportation spring. And maybe it happens this coming fall or next, uh, next off season, a year from now, um, where we bring the transportation future to Aspen. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but I've had conversations with Rocky Mountain Institute, with, with the Institute and some of their connections with leaderships at Tesla, um, a brief conversation with Toyota leadership and all the people who are doing this, Google and Apple. I want them to come here and we'll turn over town for a short period of time. And I want to introduce um, to the community what the future looks like and what each individual's responsibility is to help deliver that future and how we modify our behaviors and change our habits. And maybe we run it from the spring to, to um, food and wine and we have a platform here. And then if the community says, that's fantastic, let's move forward on it, you know, it can help clarify the direction we go um, with our other transportation investments. And if the community says, absolutely not, I would never do that, I'm not gonna put an app on my phone and I don't want anything to do with, with driverless cars or that is absolutely ridiculous, then we'll get the bulldozers out and plow away the open space and build 15 <laughs> parking ramps and change Aspen forever to accommodate everybody's convenience. But that, that's a big picture goal about a, a, a really aggressive approach about what the future would look like. And, and that might mean we run an experiment with um, shuttling, and this is, this is, has not been vetted. I'm just saying this is uh, the big picture thinking and something I want to introduce into the conversation. Perhaps we, we have a modified Zermatt model where we're shuttling people into town and cars are staying out of town. And we work on um, uh, parking spaces, buttermilk, and for the six-week window, we have um, electric, we have Teslas or Toyota's next-generation vehicle, or, and we have constant shuttles running in. You know, we got this report from RAFTA, the EOTC. And Brent, cut me off if, I know you're wowed by the genius here, but interject oh, anytime so now. I can tell, <laughs> <laughs> you're, <laughs> tell no, that you're stuck. I'm into it, keep okay. going. Um, because we looked at a train, we put this, the EOTC, the, the Elected Official Transportation Commission, uh, looked at, uh, kind of updated all these studies, and the, the, the experts came back to us and said a train running from the intercept lot to Ruby Park was $500 million. It's, it's more or less $100 million a mile to lay down rail to get it up. It's half a billion dollars. You know, Right now, you can buy electric vehicles. You can get a Nissan Leaf with all of the federal and state tax credits. They're about thirteen thousand bucks a piece. We, for half a billion dollars, we could buy <laughs> we could buy forty thousand Nissan Leafs or something. But I will stop you there. Yeah. I, when I I was a little disappointed in that reaction that everybody said, "Oh, it's five hundred million. Yeah, can't do it." You know, we spent a hundred million in roughly two thousand two on mm -hmm. Snowmass Canyon, three and a half miles. So we definitely have 500 million into the highway. And so I'd be kind of disappointed if the result of the light rail study was, well, it's expensive, so let's move on to something uh -huh. else. Do you, you think that's occurred? Have we, is that all it takes for Aspen to walk away from light rail is, is a price tag and we're done? Or do, is that conversation yeah. over at the EOTC No, level? I think it was just sticker shock. Because okay. we, we had never, EOTC had never entertained this discussion where we went back and kind of reinvested in the studies and say, what in today's dollars, what will this take? You know, and that just those words, half a billion dollars is is a lot to... Um, and and Trapani didn't bring up the, we have that much into, we have a billion into the highway or mm -hmm. it's going to cost it, a billion to keep the highway going or no. that, there was no comparison. That, that discussion didn't go, Did, but nobody okay. said, nobody said end the conversation. Okay. Yeah, but it, it it is necessary. I think an elected official's highest responsibility is to care for your tax dollars, every dollar, and Fair be enough. prudent around spending. So, but was that was there also a sense that there was no other funding out there in the universe? It would all have to come from city sales tax or something? That that's a really huge discussion right now about funding because it's something we're talking about on the RAFTA board. RAFTA is going to see something like a 26 percent increase in ridership over the next 10 years. And they're saying they need a property tax. Well, they're saying they need, we need 50, fifty million dollars over the next ten years just to keep our rolling stock, keep Raptors rolling stock current, keep the general maintenance facilities up to date, and employ the workforce to deliver the services demanded by the public. That's fifty million bucks. This community has always done a, a great job 
about taxing itself for the things it wants, getting its money in order, and then going to the authorities, the big shots, state and federal, to say, can you match this? And we've had some success getting it done. That's why we have the highway here and the roundabout and raft BRT itself and BRT and, and all these yeah. things. Mm -hmm. um, I was in Washington a couple weeks ago. I was in Tipton's office and um, Senator Gardner's office. And I was on my way to uh, Senator Bennett's office, but a snowstorm blew in and United Airlines sent me a sent me a text and said, if you can get the airport right now, we'd like to get you out of Washington, which I took advantage of. So, uh -huh. But Senator Bennett was an easier discussion anyway. Uh, right. The discussion in uh, Congressman Tipton and Senator Gardner's office was exactly this. As the current administration is cutting everything, um, be aware of how important that um, federal transportation dollars have been to, uh, to, your, to our valley, your state, Congressman Gardner, uh, Senator Gardner, and your congressional district, um, Congressman Tipton. You know, we, Senator Gardner can say to the rest of the country, in my state, we have what is the largest rural mass transit system, and this has been an economic development opportunity for an entire valley. It's not a Democrat thing or Republican thing. It's put everybody to work. It's, it's um, help address congestion issues, and we want to... Uh, so a there's a third point on your, on your um, okay. vision. So uh, you, pedestrian yeah, and yeah. transit, and what was the third? Uh, APSHA, housing. Housing. Okay. It's housing. Mm -hmm. And um, I want uh, housing, I think... We have this magnificent system, and it's really a miracle. And it's it is the really primary tenant that has kept this uh, community unique um, and competitive, and the desire of all the world. And when I go to these ski town meetings, it's all everybody says because I meet regularly regularly with the other ski towns. You've been on the Colorado Association, Association ski, ski town yeah. board for a long time. Now. Yeah, for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um, and there's still no one else is still coming close in terms of their gate restricted housing stock. Brent, these these conversations at these meetings invariably start with, I, I don't think I've been to one when it hasn't started with, we don't want to be like Aspen. But we want a transit system and it's housing stock. And then they turn to me, at some point they turn to me and say, how did you guys? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, so housing is critical, but um, you know, it started in the 70s and it was a great effort, but now we're 40 years into it. And we're dealing with some of the unforeseen consequences of the early decisions. You know, back then we all bought housing, everybody was 25, 26, 40 years later, we're all 60. 65, 70, so we, we have this, and it wasn't considered what happens when we have an, when people are aging into their units. Nothing's right. turning over for the next generation. Right. Um, we have issues with this VRBO, vacation rental by owners and Airbnb, mm -hmm. and public dollars having purchased, being used for and affordable And the charges housing. of everybody's corrupt. Right, uh, all, all those things. I, that, yeah. is, that is greatly exaggerated, by the way. So the, the Misuse of your date restricted unit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it, some of that is happening out there, but that it's that it's rampant. And now there's and a full-time compliance officer. Well, we're getting one, so that's part mm -hmm. of this. So I, I mm -hmm. want to place as a top ten goal a thorough look at the APSHA system to ensure that it's it's um, we we understand the stock thoroughly. We understand who's living here. We understand that our category units are right, that our pricing mechanisms are right, and that it's and that we have a policy going forward around capital reserves, which we're working on. That is also a major, um, a really enormous undertaking. And, yes, I'm, uh, I'm sure you've spent a lot of time talking to a few owners in Centennial about how yeah, they feel uh, about that. And this yeah. issue with Centennial, mm -hmm. uh, Centennial, Centennial, mm -hmm. Centennial's issues. Uh, and ensuring that the next generation, we have opportunities for the next generation, and that our rules are fairly enforced. Well, so. it's interesting, too, because it's the Aspen Pickett County Housing Authority, but it's really the City Housing Authority in a way, just by virtue that most of the stock and most of the investment is in the city, right? And so is it part of it that we have a... Uh, a department that's neither fish right, nor foul. Is it an authority or is it an association? Is that what's, what's, what's the final A? I think it's authority. Housing authority? Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Which I remember when telling Tom Baker, I was like, if, you know, if you can change the name of the housing authority to the housing office, it might seem a little less um, <laughs> foreboding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Try calling it that. You're right. We're here from the housing authority. You're out. Um, so that's going to come up too. I mean, it's. I asked Liam Mulcahy, I said, you know, are you running? to fix your own personal situation so you can get the hearing that you want in front of the housing authority so you can save your house or are you running for a true, um, as a public servant, as you've been saying. So that'll come yeah. up, that you're denying him okay. some sort of due yeah. process. And I'm like, well, I don't think the mayor's head yeah. of the housing authority. It's not, it's the, uh, it is, the, the city is the primary player in this, but it is, it, it is an authority, it's an association It's between the city and county. Right. It's the Aspen Picking County Housing right. Authority. That's why I asked, is yeah. it, do the city have a, more votes or more sway or more influence I think we have more that? money. We have more money into it. More money. No, it. we have more money into it, but the same amount of votes. Same so. amount of authority. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Wait. some of the um, 
Brett, my fellow council member, mm -hmm. Adam Frisch, uh -huh. has some thoughts on that, so another interview. On housing, <laughs> on the authority. On the authority, yeah. What does he want to do? Uh, Adam has, Adam's, uh, he's, uh, he's been, um, uh, he's really passionate about addressing these issues. And long before Adam was on council, he served on the, uh, the Housing Frontiers uh, Committee, which right. was a citizen group who worked alongside the board and mm -hmm. APSHA to look at um, some of these issues. So right. he, he's really informed on perhaps uh, constructive approaches to fixing some of these issues. But that you, you and Adam can chat about that. Well, you know, you've picked the two thorniest issues that never go away in Aspen, housing and, and transit. And I wonder, given your experience now, if you feel like okay, they can't be solved, mm -hmm. they can only be modified as we go, but they're yeah. perennial issues. They always well, are out so, there. So, so is development and land use. Right. And we undertook this enormous project we spent a lot of public money. We had a team of uh, brilliant and talented consultants. We have a, a skilled ComDev department who took on this mission after some turnover there under the leadership of Jessica Garrell and her team. Uh, and we worked a year on addressing land use. And I think a lot of the angst that's been um, removed from this election cycle is because uh, we addressed these development issues. And it was my goal last time when we did this interview, and you asked me what your three points you want to get done, and I mentioned next generation mobility technologies was one of those things. The other was to align the principles, of our, our land use code with the principles in the Aspen Area Community Plan. Right. And I went back to that and I looked at what I thought were the core points, and we, we passed five or six ordinances. We're finishing up the last one now on view planes. Um, well, there's nothing like a good um, um, building code or, or land use code discussion to chase the reporters out of the room, <laughs> right? Um, so you did a moratorium and then you started doing the nuts and bolts yeah. of, of these ordinances and yeah. it really hasn't gotten much yeah. coverage. You know, it's, it's funny. It's it been under the radar kind of thing. Yeah. Not, um, you can criticize the press. No, not that okay. I need to rush the defense <laughs> of the press, but the stuff, it is, it is so detailed and mm -hmm. so heavy and right. so onerous and right. really complicated. Right. Uh, and while it will, the land use code will need tweaking as we go forward, um, we did a pretty darn good job of capturing these principles and then writing code to deliver what things we thought important. And one of those key things was locally serving business or affordable business we took a shot at. So Trying to design spaces or require right, spaces right. that might lend itself to that. Which, which is really creative, um, a design-based approach to delivering spaces that would be welcoming to the kind of mom and pop shops we want. And so. those things are very hard to do, and it takes a long time to see if they work. Like there was something in the land use code for a long time in downtown that, well, you need to build sort of um, patio space or open space in front of a commercial building. And then there was a, a thought that actually it's better if you bring the building up to the sidewalk edge and not right, have right, these right. sort of uh, stranded little parcels of open space, right? So we'll see if the de if design right, works yeah. on this front. Right? But you know what is so interesting about that? Because that came up as part of the land use. It's mm -hmm. the, called the public amenity space. Right. Yes. And we addressed that because mm -hmm. we weren't exactly getting what we wanted. What we right. wanted were, were active and vital spaces like in front of Paradise Bakery or in front of Peaches. And what we were getting were these privatized spaces that mm. fit the letter of the law but didn't deliver the... Acted like private patios or something. Yeah. So yeah. we went back to work on that. So, uh -huh. you know, when I what kind of motivated me to push this bullet point last year, align the code and the ACP, was looking at the history of Aspen's land use since the 1950s. It's fantastic, and it's a, it's a roller coaster. It, it was in the 50s, they opened up the floodgates. They wanted stuff in, in the 60s, they closed it up. And in the 70s, you can read the decisions where they closed things. In the 80s, it came back. You know, in the 90s, it slowed up again, and Helen and the council back, there was a whole infill thing to lo loosen up the code, and then now we're back 15 years later. So the, the whole goal was to stop the pendulum, not be so restrictive that everything stops so in 15 or 20 years another council just undoes what we did, but to find the sweet spot in the middle. And that's why there's still, and I, this was important to me, that there's still opportunity for Aspen to, to breathe and mature and evolve without it being so. Sort of like discussing climate change through the lens of weather. Um, <laughs> Right, that oh, it's hot, it's cold, so we don't need to do. That's that's exactly stuff. right. Yeah, right. It's it's snow today. There's no global warming. Right, yeah, right. right. Um, so again, I have talked to Lee, and so he's brought up some 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 potential campaign issues. So I'll, since I've had that experience, I might as well. So he he says, you know, the, the mayor of Aspen is constantly um, globe trotting. He's he's off to Paris. He's yeah. he's off to Dubai, and, and he's doing all these things, and and he's wrapped himself in this in this grandiose vision of himself as as global savior. He didn't actually say that, but I think that's what he was trying to imply. Yeah, uh, I, I'm flattered. <laughs> I'm so flattered. So. 
Um, so you have been to Taiwan, you have been to Dubai, you have been to, to Paris. How yeah. does one um, how does one judge that? Should the mayor of Aspen be doing that? Yeah, um, that's not all though. There's more. Yeah, I was also in Seoul, South Korea. Okay, I was invited. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also invited to Denver to speak a number of times. I'm also invited up and down the valley. I'm also invited to the high school, a number of places, mm -hmm. and I'm also invited to private homes to speak. So the the platform the mayor of Aspen has to represent the interests and values of this community is really an extraordinary one. And about these international trips, um, uh, we had some successes here, and I'm quite proud of that. And one of those was being able to environmental successes, and one of those was finishing this 10-year project that I and my council got done to convert our electric utility to 100% renewable sources. Along the way, I signed on to this, or this organization called the Compact of Mayors, International Compact of Mayors. And along with our successes, I was one of the early signatees, is that what it's called? Signa signatories. Signa maybe? Signatories. Mm -hmm. uh, along signers. With Los <laughs> signers, yeah. <laughs> along with Los Angeles and Rio de Janeiro and all these heavy hitters. It's all mm -hmm. those guys and us. And I signed on because I, I was... I wanted, um, I wanted Aspen to be part of the conversation. I wanted our values to help inform the conversation. And because of my engagement in this community's successes and the principles we hold dear, um, I was invited to come to Paris to this event called the Climate Summit for Local Leaders. Uh, Mayor Bloomberg of New York City and Mayor Hidalgo of Paris, it was a personal invitation to come with some of these other uh, big shots. So um, when I first got the invitation, I kind of laughed at it because I thought it's probably not, but then I was talking with Ashley Pearl and I thought maybe maybe we should do this. The climate manager the, for the city. The, uh, Ashley. The, actually, the climate yeah. manager. She for the said, city. "Go." You yeah, got she, invited this is absolutely. So we started mm -hmm. talking, and we had um, sent. Uh, it became uh, a once kind of a, an a opportunity for platform to help inform this conversation, as I said. So I went, and it involved a plane ticket. And uh, a couple, a few nights in one of Paris's fabulous two-star hotels. It was a walk-up that I stayed. <laughs> so I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a cheap date. So uh -huh. other than basically the plane ticket and uh, what it cost for hotel, I paid for my own meals and everything, things, uh, my own transportation once in Paris and all thing. Uh, and it was a huge amount of work. But when I got there, and I mentioned to Ashley, if I go, I want to represent. I don't just want to go spend taxpayer money. Um, I want to uh, present Aspen's case. So I was, I was able to sit on three different panels in Paris inside COP21. That's where the 195 nations got together. So I got off my butt and I went. I didn't have to go, but I did. And when I went to Paris, I didn't have to speak on, on, on three panels, but I did. And through, I got credentials for the US State Department and connected with our nonprofit partners and uh, some of these environmental organizations. And I sat on a panel and I, got, and I told Aspen's story. And then following that, I didn't have to stick around, but I did stick around because the media wanted to talk to me. And it was a whole range of media from, from independent bloggers to one interview I did with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. We were on the front, Aspen was on the front page of their website. Um, over the summer, I had a conversation uh, with, oh, not only that, I was invited to, so Lee, Lee can add this to his it was an attack on me. I, I was invited to the U.S. Embassy in Paris, along with 35 other U.S. mayors, uh, none of which, few, few others, if any, spoke on three different panels in Paris, by the way. I'm not sure anybody did, uh, because uh, we were front page in a U.S. conference of mayors report uh, about our climate initiatives, our environmental initiatives. And I was at a meeting with the U.S. ambassador and was recognized. This, us in Aspen, were recognized and were on the front page of this book because of the things uh, we did, because I got off my butt and I went there. Over the summer, I got an invitation from Taiwan. The government, it was the, the Kaohsiung region in southern Taiwan, the southern half. It's about a region of a million people. They said, we heard you speak in Paris. We want to attempt to replicate what you've done. Would you come tell us how you did it? We'll pay for your trip. No public money. No meetings missed. So I went. So I got on the airplane, and I flew for the 27 hours in an economy seat and went, and, and went to tai, in steamy Taiwan. And I walked around and did all the stuff and sat on the stage, prepared my materials, wrote a half-an-hour presentation, a whole PowerPoint point. And I stood. It was 200 people at an academic conference in Taiwan, and I made the presentation. Um, it was done in uh, Chinese, Taiwanese, and English. Uh, and I, again, at this thing, I was not only representing Aspen, but I was a de facto a representative of the entire United States because they look at me as a mayor, as an elected official of the United States of America, which was which was a fascinating thing. So it creates a whole nother context, you know, that I have to conduct myself because I'm not trained in foreign relations, believe it or not, as I buzz around <laughs> town on my 35-year-old Schwinn Voyager and live at Hunter Creek. So, so the bird, my point is mm. the, it's not as if I'm hopping on an airplane and jet-setting around the world. These, these invitations come with tremendous burdens to conduct myself in a professional way uh, that brings value to the community and helps inform this international conversation. I think that's fantastic. Then, Brent, that's not all. I came back from that trip, 
and got an invitation from Park Won Soo, who is the mayor of Seoul, South Korea. He was one of the foundational personalities in Paris who worked alongside Bloomberg and Mayor Hidalgo, uh, along with the mayor of Rio, Rio de Janeiro and Jakarta and Seoul, South Korea. Seoul is becoming one of the world's great cities, and he's recognized as a major international figure. And I believe he is a candidate for the presidency of South Korea because I think they just impeached their, their president. So, uh, and I went uh, to that conference. This was an extension of the Paris conference, and they got the invitation and said, we, uh, your attendance in Paris was valuable. We are having a second conversation to follow up on Paris successes. Would you come and sit on our panel and share your, uh, we'll pay for your trip and we'll come, and, and uh, mm -hmm. you can bring a second person if you want, and I brought Adam Frisch with me, believe it or not. So two of us went on that trip. It was the mayor and the mayor pro tem. Again, no other city in the United States of America was sitting on a stage in Seoul, South Korea, except Aspen, Colorado, because I had the guts and, and interest to get off my butt and go, so I did. Um, but well, and it's not entirely unusual for mayors of Aspen to, to travel before you. It's not like the first one. I mean, it was sort of routine for the, yeah. one of the perks of the, of the mayor, one of the duties maybe, was to visit some of the sister cities that, yeah. that Aspen has. So it's not unique to, to you, first right, of all. Right, mayors have gone. Mick had gone yeah. to sister city programs, yeah. uh, various places. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Helen had traveled, I know mm -hmm. John Bennett, I think, and I talked about this with Jim True, and I made sure that everything I was doing was appropriate, and I mm -hmm. run like through the ethics panel right. and everything, and I have, I keep my, uh, every receipt I submit, and I have a whole packet, you're welcome to, I'll hand it over to you if you want to look at all 200 pages of whatever I've done for receipts I have sitting there. Every Subway sandwich shop I stopped at, or whatever <laughs> I'm getting, uh, but that's what it was. So, it, so it's political season, and it's easy to pick on these things. You turn anything into a political issue. And then let me, I'll just finish the story since I'm rolling. Sure, yeah. And I wear my fancy socks, but uh, that, <laughs> that conversation, those conver the international platform then led to a conversation, uh, uh, an invitation from uh, the city of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates of all places. And they said, Dear Mayor Skadron, we're hosting the World Green Economy Summit. Um, we're aware of your very successes and your participation on these panels, and we're quite influenced by. Um, would you come and we'll pay for your trip? And again, again, no public money has gone into any of these trips. And I, I just think it's fascinating. And these are once in a lifetime opportunities. Um, and I think uh, to sit on that, to sit on that, um, to sit alongside those prominent personalities, and not only represent the city of Aspen, but again, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the United. They have the, and they have in their documents the United States of America. You know, well, in theory, you're learning powerful. something and bringing back ideas to Aspen as well. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Dubai, interestingly enough, has the opposite problem. They they have. Um, I was there in I think it was it was late October or early November, and it was 98 degrees, and that was their cool season. Six months of the year, in that part of the globe, they can't go outside. They can't live outside there. They're entirely inside. Uh, and they had built a a renewable city, a sustainable city, 20 miles outside of town, where they're running their they're using desalinated water and total solar power. Um, or they park their cars on the outside of their town. So they're using um, fossil fuel, of course, Middle East, to get to this community. And then the, re the residents, and it's 6,000 people who live in this, plan for 6,000 people who are living inside this planned area, uh, are required to take electric vehicles. Um, so you park, and everybody's driving around in BMWs and Mercedes and Infinities and it's, it's Range Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> it's really shiny, so, right? Right. Uh, and these glass towers—it's kind of a remarkable place. Mm -hmm. Really, so really fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that's a place, and we—and I just—we talked earlier about changing our transportation model, and this is an example where they are actually parking outside of their community and using electric shuttles to get to their, to their homes and to the ser to the services inside their community, to their stores and parks and things. Well, we'll so, see if the criticism sticks. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we should. Mandate that you stay within the roundabout uh, yeah. as mayor. Yes, I'm not out. I'm not out seeking trips. I'm really flattered that it happened, and it's only brought value to the community. And there was no cost to the community. I'm not running up travel expenses, and I missed no meetings. I have, I have a hundred percent attendance record, Brent, on public meetings. It's Monday night where the decisions are made, made, and the votes are there. And um, in my well, plus yeah. the city's a two hundred million dollar organization, roughly one hundred and fifty. One hundred and fifty. Yeah. So with, with you would, Modest travel budget wouldn't be completely out of line, I but it's not why I'm in the seat for looking right. for a travel budget. Uh, yeah, it's so. Uh, yeah, the, I think I'm. We were working on land use, and as any, I did. If I think I missed a work session, maybe or two work sessions in total, to do this, and right. uh, got my work done before I left, and was able to communicate with staff and my fellow councilmen. So, yeah. fair enough. All right, yeah, there you go. All right.
Um, so um, now I have another criticism for you to deal with. Uh, here's another hot potato, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you'll love this part of running for office. Uh, so there's the whole city uh, hall issue and the new city mm -hmm. facilities. Yeah. And I was wondering the other day, so there's a new building that the city council just approved down yeah. um, across from Rio Grande Park. Yeah. And I'm like, is that city hall? Um, I'll probably go to my grave thinking it's no city halls on Galena Street, but you basically approved a new city hall, right? Building, yeah. It, and so it's got the unfortunate name of the city mahal. City, oh. city office building. So yeah, it's a city office. Yeah. Is that city hall? Is that the yeah. new... Did you guys approve a new city hall? Is that what you called it? I know it's just a city office building, but is that the new center of, of no, government and aspect? No, uh, it's the, um, well, we spent more money, Brent, to do less, <laughs> So as it turns out. So the, the debate was, do we build one large building somewhere or and walk away from the current city hall building, or do we keep the city hall building and build a couple of other smaller facilities. That yeah, was the yeah. general discussion, right? The, yeah. And this you was, went smaller and keep the city hall. This was after three years of public outreach and a huge amount of public discussion that, that um, flowed from a Galena master plan that was started in 1999 or 2000 or something. So it's been going on for, like many things in Aspen, for 15 or 17 years. So it was <laughs> right. time, time to get it done. Mm -hmm. um, it was really driven by our changing downtown landscape. And when an investor uh, like Mark Hunt and others came to town and bought all these buildings, uh, the, city, the city was in six or seven or eight different locations. And we basically lost our leases. So the city has to go someplace. Um, the most expensive option is for the city to keep renting space uh, for um, endlessly. So one option was to build uh, a place, uh, a building for the city to contain all of its offices and plop it down over there. So that was the original plan. It was a one-roof option, consolidated all the business, all the city. And it was in the space where, the, where people may recognize it's where, the, where you enter the Rio Grande parking garage yeah. and where ACRA yeah. is. It's that block. If exactly. It kind of yeah. uh, sits on top of the chamber. It's like the chamber where the chamber office is and another floor on top of that. Okay. So. And you guys have approved, uh, uh, made a decision on that. We did. Uh -huh. uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It went back and forth. So one option that first came to us was this one roof solution. It was the least amount of money, it was the least cost. It was the most efficient from a business perspective. Um, all services in one location. All services in one location. Mm -hmm. uh, but that got too big, apparently. But, but it was this notion of building, plopping a huge building down there and in a town that doesn't like development, it wasn't sitting well. Um, so were you a one roofer or were you a? Uh, my, what I wanted to do was, was build the smallest footprint. I, I, initially when it started, I said, I, you know, my. Uh, my preference would be to build, just do what's, build, build, be a fiscally responsible and just build something that's the smallest footprint. I originally uh, had uh, supported uh, a complex behind City Hall. We keep the original building and then something back there gets built. Mm -hmm. But something's getting built, something gets, is getting mm -hmm. built either way. Mm -hmm. that, that takes out a downtown park and a downtown green space and everything has consequences. Right. So Brent, on the spectrum of options, there's generally three that, that uh, embody all of the infinite options. So one is the one roof solution. On the other end, let's just scatter them. Everywhere. Scatter them and mm -hmm. build nothing. Right. But it's, it was the most expensive option. It was like this is a forty million option, and that was like a seventy million dollar option. In terms of paying rent, paying rent over, forever uh, over mm -hmm. fifty years or something. Uh -huh. uh, not only that, it's putting um, its public offices consuming much desired mm. private space for locals who want to open businesses, so they're competing against the city. So good basically, mm -hmm. landlords are using the city right. to com uh, competing against. The city's a good tenant, pays its bills. Pays its bills, doesn't yeah. Move. yeah. So you yeah. can jack it. Mm -hmm. And that forces me and my small business out of those spaces. So by the city pulling out of those spaces, we open up some. So it's a done deal. It's a, that's yeah. a checkbox, done. So, wait, there's a third option. Oh, okay. so, so then we, then we looked at a third <laughs> option. And that's kind of where we landed on, where, mm -hmm. we, where we house most of the facilities there, but we keep the heart of local government in the current city hall because we wanted the or maintain our historic roots there, and I, 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 was, I was happy with that, um, maintaining the heart of government in our historic location. So. When I, and I talked to Ann Mullins yesterday, and, and she indicated that um, there'll be new meeting space in the new building, and then you're gonna move the meeting space back to City Hall? Is that what's going on? Where is City Council gonna meet? Do, has that been decided, or is that still programmatically, no, you're still figuring yeah, that out? Yeah, that's part, that is, that is part of the program. What, what I think will happen, Brent, down the road someday, uh, right, there's going to be two big new meeting spaces. No, I think city council meets in the new building. 
they actually council meetings. They'll move over there and they're, there'll be a new council yeah, chambers. And, yeah. and I asked you to put in comfortable chairs for the public. Comfortable chairs, right, okay. Right. <laughs> put that on the list if you could. That not means, just, Brett, that not means, just uncomfortable chairs with pillows, <laughs> but actual comfortable chairs would be great. Brett, that means people will come. <laughs> and <laughs> sit there for hours. Sit there. Right. Longer than that. Right, you're, we're trying to drive them out. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brett, no, I, but the meeting, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be um, functional and really wonderful. And it'll be one of these spaces where we'll think, how do we ever get along without this? Not unlike what the county and the library did in that new library meeting room. That, that is such a wonderful space. The Dunaway community. The Dunaway community room, right. Yes. And by the way, if you haven't gone to one of John Bush's Sunday night weekend movies there, the Are we Wheeler, showing movies in that room? John, is he like, he brought back the Wheeler Film Society. I think he's calling, well, I don't know. He's calling it something else now, but remember he used to run. Sure, those of course. Really fantastic. A little bit uncomfortable because they're library chairs. Right. But so fun to go, and, and it's one of those um, special Aspen moments is John Bush standing before the movie. Right. I'm um, sharing his insights into it and all of the peculiarities of the film that make it wonderful. That is, to anybody who's new to the community, right. take advantage of John Bush. No, I've so. told him that we're going to, you know, in the future there'll be a little hologram of John Bush coming out and introducing the movie so we can keep the I love that, you know, tradition I've been here, going. Right, I've been here. <laughs> it's great. I'm not kidding. That's, right. that's fantastic. That's wonderful. So I've been here 22 years. One of my fondest memories is, um, is going to the balcony in the Wheeler back in the day and John Bush would come out on stage and say a few words. John yeah. Bush and that, that yeah. his, um, his screechy voice. And, uh, it's okay, wonderful. I, it's wonderful. It's great. Well, I'm talking about movies. Do I have a minute to sure. talk about one more fantastic Just, memory? Sure. So I remember <laughs> during off-season, the uh, old Isis and Dominic Linza. You're right. I mean, I remember tumbleweeds blowing down the street <laughs> during the spring season mm -hmm. and uh, going into the, um, the Isis and saying to Dominic, I am so sorry. I only, ha I only have two bucks or something. And I, th I probably, and I really only did have two right. bucks, which was a significant portion of my bank account at the time. And he'd say, come on, that's great. Come Just on come in. on in. Come right. on in. It was right. great. Yeah. Well, it was great because they'd sell you the ticket, and then they'd slide behind the popcorn uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, counter and serve you your popcorn. You know what else he said? <laughs> I remember he, one time he said, um, Dominic went on stage, and he said, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, tonight we have a cute little, fil a cute little f uh, fun little film starring, um, I think it was Liv Tyler, who was the son of Steven Tyler, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Next week, we're showing Volcano. <laughs> If you want to see a piece of garbage, come out. <laughs> come out and come out and see this. Theater one. owner and critic. Yeah. He said, "This is a film where they paid twenty million dollars to the actors and fifteen cents to the script." But if you want to, see the, 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 we we were we were hysterical. So. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. Back to the tough questions. Okay. Uh, let's talk about conditional water rights. Okay. Um, you know, I've been obsessed with it for a couple of years now, reporting on it. And I thought of what's the toughest question I can ask the mayor and any other council member who, who voted for diligence. Uh, and I've, I've come down to this. Explain what you mean by that. So when okay. you say diligence, you mean the city taking time to look at alternate, viable alternatives to that's one storage? Way to, that's one way to frame it. In other words, the city council voted to mm -hmm. um, file an application with the city to extend the um, water rights tied to the potential Castle Maroon Creek reservoirs for another six years. You filed a diligence application for the reservoirs with the state, and the council voted to do that, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's other, um, to be fair, there's other goals in the resolution that was passed, but one of them was let's file the diligence application, right? Mm -hmm. And when you, the diligence application tells the state, we've been steadily applying effort to appropriate this conditional water right, which, there's really no escaping that the only way to appropriate a conditional storage right is to store the water. And to store the water, you have to build the dam. Oh, okay. Right? So technically, the city filed a diligence application with the state that basically said, hey, we're making progress on this, and we'd like another six years to hold mm -hmm. on to these water rights while we continue to make progress on this project. Right? You with me so far? Does that seem accurate in your understanding? Okay. Uh, Brett, you know I, more I know, about but I'm any, not gonna let, anybody. I'm not, not going to let you go there. You can't. That's fine. So what's, what's your question? Yeah. So the question is, do you think you're saying, you're saying to keep the rights, you have to store the water, so you have to build the dams, and the city's saying it 
I mean, its preferences and not its defined alternatives. Yeah, there's this there's uh -huh. this schism actually that you know there's a um, you know you framed it in the past as the state made us uh, go through this process, and it's yeah. well yeah. okay, yeah. but the city had the right had the opportunity not to file to maintain these water rights, but it, it voted to file to maintain these water rights. Mm -hmm. And I certainly understand why. It's, a, it's an asset, it's a bird in the hand, and the city council said, let's not fold this poker hand yet, let's, or let's not, yeah. um, let's not just throw away this city asset. It's, it represents right. a, a city asset. Right. Uh, on the other hand, so the question is, the hardest question I could think of is, okay. um, do you, by voting to file that diligence application, do you think you made it more or less likely that a dam will be built at the Maroon Bells someday? <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, it's almost a trick question, but not really. Well, our our vote had our vote had um, our vote was a it wasn't. You put it in the context of building dams, and our vote wasn't in the context of building dams. It was in the preservation. It was in holding on to the water right, this, uh, maintaining an as this asset. Right, but so, I don't see how you can necessarily separate okay. them. Yeah. In other words, because the the only way to manifest that conditional water right is to store water, which requires you to build a dam. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Brent. I I don't know that I'm prepared enough to comment um, sufficiently on that. But if it was. I can only say it was not the, the this notion that the city is poised to dam Maroon Valley is in reality uh, a filing required by the state, and that's why you're saying right? it's a filing required by the state uh -huh. if you want to continue okay. to maintain the option okay. to do that. Fair? And can we can we get comfortable with that? that? I, I mean, I, because that's what sure you're. I trust. I, I trust I mean, your. You did. You did great work on your reporting. I, mean, I can really, show you really, the yeah. diligence application okay. and it basically says, you know, I can only tell you what, what, Brent, I can only comment on what council's intention was. And right. Council's intention was um, what it felt was prudent water management and responsible government. And it would not be prudent water management or responsible government to throw away these rights without knowing, without understanding, without having viable options to, uh, Without having viable viable options in place, and that's all we were doing. It's not a. There's nothing um, sinister about council's actions. You know, it, it comes up also in the conversation that the community has no recourse because it's an administrational act. Council can tell the city manager to go proceed with the storage option, and the community has no say. And that's that's ridiculous. And that you know that's a. I haven't really focused on that aspect. But it comes it. up oh. if. Because people know. want to take it to a vote or something someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a crazy thing. Or change the charter, right? Which which right. Uh, Bert has talked about going back into the charter to. Right. Uh, My, but, so here's another. But, question. but the recourse. Let me the finish. Okay. The, so the recourse. Right. Um, there's a, first of all, there's a council election every two years. So if a council had given that direction and the community found it inappropriate, vote mm. vote out the crew and put a new team in there. Right. Secondly. Um, and Mick Ireland can talk more uh, definitively about this than I can, but um, there's always the recall option. <laughs> and Mick said he's been through three of them back in the sure. day. I, there, there, there are tools. Um, right. Also, to build, if the city was going to build dams, Brent, and you could probably comment better than I can on this, it takes something like 20 or 30 years to get that done. You have to act, literally get an act of Congress, right? Because it's a wilderness area. Yeah. You have to go through Washington, D.C. So it isn't as if, like tomorrow, you know, council or the next council is going to tell Steve Barwick to start the process. Well, and right. our Daly's driving up there on his bulldozer to. No, I understand that. It's, it's 30 years away. Right. And all, that, that's, that's what, two years, 15 election cycles. I mean, we're already. Well, so the question, I, so there's a more pragmatic question. So right now, the city says, okay, so we filed for to extend these conditional water rights, and that'll give us time to study some other. I, I sold on your, on your <laughs> fine fellow. I've got you, got you where I want you now. Okay. Uh, uh, so we filed for these storage options, and we're going to go look at all a bunch of other alternatives. Okay. We want to see if we can meet our water storage needs without having to, to do these relatively extreme measures of building yeah. a dam. Yeah. But the city hasn't actually um, studied the reservoirs to see if they're possible. So in other words, you're saying, well, we're going to keep this option, but look at some other options. Mm -hmm. But I, 
but I'm curious as to why they haven't really studied this option. Mm -hmm. Is that really an option? Well, all I can say to that, Brent, is um, what this city council did unanimously uh, was to make this a transparent process because since 1971, nobody even talked about it. Your report came out a few years ago. It 2012. Was, it, yeah. it, 2000, it was really informative. And now it's the filing has come up again and staff said, how do you want to handle this? And we said, I remember I said, let's make this transparent and make it a, we'll get the, let the community, I want the community to know what's happening. And essentially we're beaten up for making it transparent. We're having, I mean, it's come to these questions about what's the city's intentions. You know, what's the alternative that the council had. Um, there, there, there were two other alternatives. One, we could have said, do it the way it was always done. And then it would have been reported, the report would have been, why is the city being secretive about this? And you could have been public. Or the other thing would have been to not file the water, not, not file. And then the letters and perhaps the conversation we'd be having right now would have been, who are the, the knuckleheads on city council who would sacrifice a, a valuable city asset like water rights in a time of uncertainty because of climate change. I guess the real question is how valuable are those storage rights? The city has a large portfolio of other water rights. Okay. Um, so the and real question is how, how valuable are those storage rights? That's, uh, that's something I hope we'll find out. And if, and if we find that um, there are viable alternatives, the city will move forward appropriately. But right now, I think it would be irresponsible for, council, for leadership on council to not investigate um, viable alternatives, and that's best done by holding on to the water rights. As I said, it happens every six years, and I think we said it'll take 18 months or two years. We're gonna spend, we hired some consultants, and we have a, the, the leadership at our utilities team who's heading this, Margaret Medain, for instance, is, is really wonderful. She I'm came her from, new favorite person. Okay, I'm sure, yeah, she, <laughs> came from, she came from Denver Water. Right. Uh, uh, is knowledgeable perhaps the only other person in town as knowledgeable as you, Brent, on well, some of this. So. I think and we she hope, knows listen, more. She's uh, an engineer. <laughs> we, we hope we're moving uh, in a way that's reasonable and responsible, and we reach a place that's satisfactory to the community, um, and we're not um, yeah, by holding on to the water rights and looking for these solutions. So we'll know more in a couple of years, and if the community doesn't like it, and it's the same thing I said to the uh, opposition group when I met with them. That's the 10 people who are suing the city in this group. Or who have filed statements of opposition, or, perhaps. Okay. Might be another way to characterize that. The, that. Right. Yeah. In other words, it's not necessarily, I think it's aggressive to say that they're suing. Okay. Or, or file out, that's fine. File yeah. opposition. Yeah. Um, my, my opening comment, I think their jaws dropped. I said, I can't even believe we're sitting here. <laughs> this was my original comment. And right. for all the reasons I said, because it would be right. irresponsible. But that, that, that's, all, that's all it was. So if, Brent, your, uh, what you've said here today, that it is, um, that the, the city's required to build the dams in order to store the water to fulfill the obligation. Is that, am I saying well, that? I'm basically saying that you've told the state that yeah. you intend to do this someday if necessary. And so you know, when you say, when you put it in the abstract of we're just, mm -hmm. we're just protecting our water rights, that sounds noble and good. Uh -huh. But the, the reality is the only way ultimately to protect uh -huh. that water right is to do what you yeah. have said you're going to do with it. But hasn't, which is to store the but water. But the city is doing what it's done since 1971, and it's protected the water rights. So nothing is different in this filing than it's been for the last 40 years. No, the real question is, is the city serious about actually, does the city really, is the city, the harshest way to put it, frankly, is, is the city really being honest with the state that it intends to do this? And there are some of the opposing parties are raising this question as is, to, is that the city's but, true intent? But isn't that the nature or the structure of these filings that ev every municipality and in every water region is yes, dealing with? Yes, so? to a certain degree, it is the nature of the system. And, you know, to put it in street language, it's, yeah, you have to go in and bullshit the state that you're going to do this someday when you may not be. Now, lucky for you, we are out of time. <laughs> so uh -oh. I can't grill you for another hour okay. on this topic. Uh, so, um, so I just, I'm now getting the full signal that we need to wrap it up. Okay. But have you been able to express everything you've wanted to about your uh, candidacy uh, here? I'll give I, you I have. Th okay. th thank you so much, Brent, right. for, for having you. me. And happy to come back and chat again another right. time if you want to. Maybe we'll continue. do a whole hour someday okay. to your delight just on the yeah. reservoir. And get some water attorneys to help us out. That'd okay. be helpful. Right. That's why I spilled those water drops. Yeah, I, I was, noticed I was, <laughs> Save the water. Let's store the water. Well, and uh, <laughs> this is the part where I say thanks for your public service and good luck. Thank so, you. Good luck. Good. Thank you, Brent. Okay, take Great. care. <laughs>
Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1, over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage.